Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this week's episode where we're talking all about the Bad Batch season finale. We're here. We're in mourning. I don't know what else to tell you. That's the episode. Spoilers <laughs> abound, obviously, and I, we're not okay. We're not okay. <laughs> I'm laughing, but I'm not laughing. I'm it's sad. like nervous laughter. Yeah. It's sad, sad laughter. Yesterday was like such whiplash of Star Wars content. Waking up, we watched Mandalorian first. Actually, you told me to watch Mandalorian first, and I think this was a really good move because Mandalorian was great, loved it. And The Bad Batch was also great, loved it, but I really was sitting in my feels for like two hours afterwards staring Mm -hmm. at my TV, and I can't believe this all happened. I felt like everything went wrong. Predictions that we made sort of came true, but like flipped it on its head, and it's just – it was a lot, and we have a lot to talk about. First thing we should mention is that we're a week away from Star Wars Celebration, and If you don't know, now you know we're going to be on the Holonet News stage on the Sunday there at 1 p.m. In room 14, Holonet News stage, come and see us. We're going to be talking about all the new Star Wars news and reacting to it. I am now, this is going to be before the Bad Batch uh, panel at Celebration, but that Bad Batch panel just got 100 times more interesting, honestly. First off, I think it's going to be an absolute morning sesh. Jennifer Corbett needs Jennifer Corbett needs to answer for the crimes <laughs> with this. Like, <laughs> we need to talk. So I think everyone's going to be really sad. And I, oh my god, I what really if I want to be in the room for what that? If they feel like an in memoriam. <laughs> oh my god. Well, they're not going to because he's not dead. He's not we'll dead. talk about it. <laughs> but. <laughs> I all but, I, uh, where I'm standing right now, literally all I need from celebration is a season three confirmation for Bad Batch. That, that's all you need from celebration entirely. Right or now, just- <laughs> right now, you know, it's more than 24 hours since I've watched the Bad Batch finale. And yes, I that is that's the bare minimum I need from celebration. And Star I would Wars. say that this finale was made with the full confidence of oh, yeah. uh, renewal. Uh, you can't I I don't know what I will <laughs> do if they're like sorry Charlie. I there'll be riots in the um in the celebration in the room in in the streets <laughs> in the hallways in the hollow net news day. <laughs> you were in the room that one time where they were like this is the last season of rebels, right? Yeah, I kind of it was in Orlando. I kind of feel like there might I, I don't want to go there. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. There's no but, way you write a finale like this. No, no, no. They're going to have a I think there's I I would bet money on them having a season 3. I bet it's already in development. I bet oh, yeah. it's like, like already being animated. Yeah. Yes. But I don't know I I've always seen Bad Batch as a 3 season or a 4 season mm-hmm. situation, so I wouldn't be 100% surprised if they were like our third season is going to be our last season and we're going to go out with a bang, you know? Yeah. But I, so that's, that's sort of what I was referring to, but I, I don't think in the room they would be like, there's no, (laughs) there's no season three. That's not going to happen. Like there's, they're having a panel and it's in the prime spot in the morning. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. I can totally see Bad Patch being a three season uh, series. So there, yeah, that's, Again, that's that's my wish list where we are right now. I just need number one confirmation. Renewal. <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah, I watched um, I watched Mandalorian and then Bad Batch. And of course, it it was before you. And of course, I had to wait so long (laughs) for you to watch Bad Batch. And then when you were sitting in your comatose, I was like, yeah, no, welcome. Welcome to the pain. Welcome to the shock to the new, the new, new, the new normal. This episode, I think these two episodes were so strong and so on the edge of your seat. And I think it's one of those episodes where you realize just how much you care for these characters and everything that's going on. It was emotional. It was heartfelt. It was heartbreaking. It was such a cliffhanger. I kind of can't think of another finale in Star Wars TV that has had such a big cliffhanger like this. Even like season two of the Mandalorian with with Luke leaving with Grogu like that's a big cliffhanger but I was ha- you know that didn't leave you with a, a with a, a feeling, feeling of dread. like unease yeah exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean maybe to some people but not in, to, uh, not, knew, that's not the message of the story I knew yeah. Luke wasn't gonna test on Grogu you know I don't scientific. know what <laughs> scientific experiments on Grogu uh like what Dr. Hemlock could have in store for Omega anyway I just I don't know when there's been a finale like this in Star Wars TV I'm probably forgetting something but I was just completely shocked and like Charlotte spent a good bit of time just sitting in wow <laughs> I will say, I think this finale was really well done, particularly the second episode. I thought mm-hmm. it was a really, really good episode. Not saying that the other, that um, episode 15 wasn't good, but I do feel like episode 16 was stronger. And maybe my attention was just really peaked and a lot was happening. But let's go into it. Let's go episode by episode and see how we do. Okay. <laughs> um, so episode 15 is called The Summit. It's directed by Nate Villanueva and written by Matt Michnovitz. So good. Um, Where do we want to begin? Let's start, you know, we started at the beginning. So let's start at the beginning. We leave Pabu. We get this beautiful nighttime shot of Pabu. Oh my God, it's so good. Interesting that you're saying Pabu and not Pabu. Pabu, Pabu, Pabu. I don't know. Okay. I'm just, I'm here. I'm here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And we get Fee saying goodbye to Omega. It's super cute. And I was like, is there going to be a tech fee moment and then I could hear the data pad I think you could hear the data pad before you saw tech and I was like yes it was everything I wanted (laughs) except for a kiss I mean I didn't think there would be a kiss I almost thought that fee would kiss tech on the cheek and just like see what happened but I think that was as far as I thought it would go in this moment but it was so obvious that tech has a crush felt really nervous didn't know what to say couldn't even look at fee it was just it was so sweet and so cute and I refuse (laughs) to believe that that is where we're leaving it refuse point blank refuse all right I just have to say fee is a scavenger what is it what is what is her title liberator of antiquities liberator yeah of yes so I feel like she can use her special set of skills to trace down what happened to tech. Mm-hmm. I, I'm fast forwarding here, but there's a lot to say in in the tech fee relationship of it all. First off, I feel like this was confirmation that there was major flirting that was happening. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. they're interested in each other. It's great. The fact that Hemlock has his goggles to me means like they tried to recover something and they 
come back with this piece of the goggle to kind of lure the Bad Batch to lure out Omega from the Bad Batch. It's like an emotional trigger. It's trying to get a rise out of Hunter. Absolutely. So if he found that, what else did he find? We know that he wants to do experiments on clones. He already has Crosshair. What if Tech is with that too? What if he survived? I don't know how he could possibly survive, but I think that it's Star Wars. It can happen. And I just sort of feel like Fee has the skill set to be able to investigate, Mm -hmm. right? And know what is happening, maybe tracing where tech was found to where Omega and Crosshair and maybe even tech are now, which is seems like the whole goal of potentially next season of how long Hunter and Wrecker and Echo are going to be looking for Omega and where she is. (laughs) I just, there's so much of this episode I just can't believe happened. Uh, it, yeah, it's just, it still feels like such a, a lot to take in. You know, in the summit, we are en route to what is the name of the planet? Iridu? Iriadu? Iriadu? It sounded I feel, like it would it's be come a up planet somewhere else from the High Republic, but it's not, right? I kn- no, it's been featured somewhere else. I saw people talking about it online, I think in a comic uh, or maybe a video sure. game somewhere there. Sure. Because uh, I think yeah. I remember someone saying like, wow, we went here, seeing it in animation. Could be wrong okay. about that. That's but, great. Uh, there was a lot of like connections that were happening yeah. throughout this finale, which I really appreciated. It was a lot was being ro- woven in from Rogue One to, I guess, if it was in video games or comics, I didn't catch, catch that, but I like that that is happening. Mm-hmm. Well, firstly, I thought this planet looked amazing. This is something that the Bad Batch has done such an extraordinary job at this season is the environment. It's been like a broken record on it. Every planet we've gone to has just looked absolutely incredible. And the whole setting of this with the the imperial base, I guess you could call it, built into the mountain above the clouds, the sky rail, the rail line uh, going through the clouds. It was just it was exquisite and it was so beautiful and it also like really kind of upped the tension. Uh, but the the Bad Batch in the summit, they have to, you know, we know that Crosshair has sent uh, the warning. What is it? Plan. I can't remember what, what message he sent now. <laughs> Basically warning. Plan 88. Plan 88. Warning the Bad Batch that they're being hunted. But they don't know where... Uh, Dr. Hemlock, where he is, uh, where his base is. So they have to go to Iridu, Aradu, to put a tracker on Iriadu. Iriadu <laughs> on Dr. <laughs> Hemlock's. You're just you can just be my corrector. Um, uh, to Dr. Hemlock's ship. So that's how we end up on this planet. And I remember starting this, and I was like, oh, okay. So this episode is going to be they put the tracker on, and the next episode is going to be they all get to Mount Tantus and they break out crosshair. I was so sure <laughs> this is how it was going to go. And then, you know, it, it didn't, it did not go this way. I think they really played with us with that mm-hmm. because of course that would be how it was going to go, that they were going to break out crosshair. But the fact is it's way more complicated than that. And Hunter, I think said as much, right. Yeah. That that's, it's not that easy. And by the end of this entire, you know, two episode finale, the Bad Batch doesn't even know where Mount Tantus is. They're really unsure about that. So I think that this episode made it really clear that that is a mountain to climb. Well, <laughs> sort of. 
I said that, but like, you know what I mean? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Literally. And I think that I didn't realize that that was going to be potentially the main objective of season three. But of course it is because it's this sort of huge obstacle that was planted in season one of The Bad Batch and now is coming back around throughout all of it. It's the through line. This uh, experimental imperial facility where several different crazy things are happening. It's not all going to be tied up at the, in the season two finale. Yeah, exactly. I think this kind of goes to what one of our other theories had been is that there would have would effectively have been a switch between Crosshair and Omega at the end of the season. So we still kind of ended up in the same spot that we thought we did with Omega at Mount Tantis. But boy, oh boy, did the path there take so many twists and turns than what I thought it would. Um when we're in Mount Tanta, uh, I'm sorry, when we're in the Imperial base on this planet, we do get to see uh, Governor Tarkin, which is always fun to see him, I think. Uh, his animation is always so great. Tarkin has such a specific look, obviously, because of Peter Cushing, but I don't know. It's just such a treat to see Tarkin on screen whenever because you know he means business and he's kind of like the top dog. So we get also get the arrival of Dr. Hemlock here, obviously, but then we also get a little a little animation animated cameo with young Orson Krennic, which was kind of exciting. And Ben Mendelsohn played him in everything. That is so crazy that they got Ben Mendelsohn to do it. It's like one line too. (laughs) It's just so great. I bet he recorded it in his closet. We love to see it. I, I missed him the first time. And I didn't notice that it was him until you wrote these notes. And I was like, wait, oh my gosh. And then on my rewatch, I was like, how did I miss him? He's so Krennic. It it was the most Krennic thing. And they kept, they kept showing him once I recognized it, I guess. Okay. This is why in my defense, the color palette of this episode was very gray. Mm -hmm. Okay. Animation was beautiful. I think that they did such an amazing job. I, I really believe that. And I, and putting that in the world, but I felt like this meeting was very much like bunch of guys around the table type of vibe. <laughs> so I missed him. <laughs> Four Imperials initially. Room. <laughs> exactly. That's kind of how it was. And then I, of course, he's there. And I really like that connection. Yeah. I thought this was um, all the kind of, we kind of cut back and forth between Tarkin uh, and the rest of the Bad Batch and their kind of infiltration of the base. But I thought the conversations that they were having within uh, this meeting room were very enlightening. You know, we got a little bit more information about what exactly they it is that they're doing on Mount Tantis. Of course, I think I can't remember if it's been said point blank, but I think we all kind of inferred what was going on with the testing on the clones. But I thought the conversations in this room were really um, good as far as like a season finale kind of stance because it did kind of wrap up everything that had been going on with the clones and clones rights. You know, everything that we saw happening on Coruscant, uh, the Imperials uh, talk about it here in this meeting. And we even get that one Imperial officer who uh, does ask the question of, you know, the clones, should we actually be testing on the clones? Uh, you know, they fought for the Empire effectively with with the Republic and everything. And Tarkin is is so quick to respond of, yeah, and they're really unreliable. They change their mind. You know, 
And then Hemlock comes in and says, and, you know, to top it off, they're not even people. They're the Empire's property. Property. So I can kind of, basically, I can kind of do whatever I want. And he's also quick to say that no one even knows where this base is. uh, So no one has any idea of what we're doing to these clones. And I'm just the definition of evil. Oh, oh, uh, Dr. Hemlock. I'm telling you, the I was reading back through our notes on the the very the season premiere of the Bad Batch to kind of you know compare where we started and where we ended, and we wrote in those notes about how awful Rampart was and that he was just so terrible. But Doctor Hemlock is like a whole other type. We of didn't evil. even know. And and yeah, and I the Bad Batch just has really succeeded in evil guys, and they're. Anyway, they're the worst of the worst, and I hate it. I think just to comment on that, I I think we have two villains and this conversation at this table in, in an imperial facility that really shows that these people who are in power don't care about any of these trying to figure out what to do with the clones, but also giving them in, in instilling their rights. That that is even brought up at the table, right? Mm-hmm. And it's very clear that the people in power don't care. And I think that it's, I know it's sort of on the nose to say that and to point that out, but I think the show has done a really good job of showing the clear distinction between the evil, the good and evil, Mm -hmm. right? Well, it kind of, I was definitely thinking about our last episode with Crosshair at the outpost when the beginning of that episode Crosshair sees some other clones basically being retired and the clones are asking, well, what do we do? Where are we going now? And the Imperial officer with them is basically saying, not listening. She's saying, if you have any complaints or questions, please bring it up with the clone rehabilitation, whatever the agency is called. And uh, they were probably being brought to Dr. Hemlock to be tested on. And it's just, it's it's so awful. And yeah, I think this season has done a really good job of balancing kind of the, as you said, kind of on the nose explanation about what's going on as far as the clones, but then also, you know, layering in, you know, some really complicated, like, political policies, bills on the floor, you need votes to pass things and like legislation and stuff like that. So I think it's done a really good job of balancing that and kind of bringing everything home and connected. Um, One of the other connections that I don't know if we've talked about on the show yet, maybe we have, but is this connection between Dr. Hemlock and Dr. Pershing from uh, The Mandalorian. One of the last episodes of The Mandalorian included this whole, you know, slight spoilers or full spoilers for Mandalorian season three as it relates to Dr. Pershing. But there's an episode where Dr. Pershing is in Coruscant and he is talking about his work as a scientist working in cloning specifically and, you know, the work that he was doing and how it was it was twisted by the empire into something dangerous and evil, but that was never his intention as a cloner. Whereas here we see Dr. Hemlock kind of very evil. <laughs> he says in the meeting, once we unlock the secret of the Kaminoans, we will have an enlightened society through their advanced technology and molecular alteration. And that just sent a lot of chills down my spine. And again, brings to mind our conversation about force sensitive clones and what 
all of that could mean. Yeah, I think it even goes beyond force sensitive clones, to be honest, even though I think that we know that that is something that they're interested in and are exploring. And we know that through the sequel trilogy with Palpatine and everything. But I, there's a sense of eugenics a little bit um, Mm -hmm. in all of this that I don't think I am educated enough to get into, but there is a sense of that here that is worrying and evil. And I don't, yeah, I, I feel like that is something that we're going to be exploring in a sort of kid friendly way. I assume in the next season of the, these science experiments and enhanced beings and things like that. Yeah. It's uh, definitely alarming. Yeah, it is. One of the things I will say that I really liked about this episode or one of the moments that I really loved was, you know, kind of leaving the Imperial base, going back to the Bad Batch and their infiltration is when they are flying to the planet and Wrecker says, good to have you back, Echo, just like old times. But in the scene, he's looking straight at Omega when he says it. Because he knows how important it is to her to have everyone back together. And I thought it was just such a sweet little moment. He's not even looking at Echo. He's just looking straight at Omega. And she's like smiling back up at him. Like, isn't this the best thing in the world? (laughs) Not it being the last time they're all together. Like they brought back Echo so that they'd all be together except for Crosser, obviously. (laughs) While Tech dies. Stop it. I... I can't. I just can't. All right. Let's talk about the extraction and the plan. The animation was just off the wall here. It was so great. I can't believe Saw was in this episode. He came out of nowhere. Nowhere. I I was like, oh, there's other people here. And then (laughs) (laughs) when the helmet came off and it was Saw, my brain did a couple of flips. I feel like once again, Saw has just been in so many different Star Wars properties at this point. It's really, I would never have thought that this character would be in tele- like live action television film and again in animation it's he's as a character who started in animation it's just like whoa he's kind of become a bail organa bail organa type of character who just is always kind of popping up <laughs> totally and he's always there to sort of test the limits of what one must do for justice and uh i'm usually on the side of Saw is right, but I think that things go off the walls a little bit with him, and I think that's the point. But I was in- it was interesting that he was included here. What did you think about that? I did not guess at all that he was going to be here. You know, I feel like when there are kind of these these things discussed in that in the in the show, right, where Tech and Hunter are infiltrating and they keep commenting of, oh, the the video feed is off. That's weird. Usually in a situation like that, I would be thinking, oh, who could it be? Who could it be? But my brain was so stressed that I was just like, yeah, that's my brain weird. was like, oh, it texted that. <laughs> yeah, whatever. That's weird. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. That's strange. <laughs> and then Saw showed up and it was like, oh, oh, okay. I get it. I get it. But I think it, it's a good it was a good inclusion of Saw, honestly, because we have this great kind of irony of Krennic being here, of course. Um, and, you know, the Bad Batch have met Saw Gerrera before in season one of the Bad Batch. And there were a lot of disagreements between them then, of course, because, as you said, Saw is meant to be 
uh, kind of on the other side, usually of our heroes, while still technically going for the same goal. But I thought their argument about what the best course of action was was really fascinating in kind of the way that anyone's conversations with Saw are and that, you know, you can kind of see he has a point. Uh, and so does Tech, of course. Uh, Saw just wants to blow up the base, take out all these big leaders and be done with it. And Tech is, you know, rational and thinking, you're not, you're going to lose the information potential. Uh, they're just going to replenish these people. In the long run, it's not going to matter, uh, really. But Saw is saying it's good to take out these people anyway. That's fewer Imperials, and it'll slow them down. And, you know, he, he has these reasons behind why he thinks this is the best course of action. And if there's one thing about Saw Gerrera, it's that he... Um, he's never going to wait. He's never going to hesitate. And that's certainly, I think, something that we see explored in the show Andor, which is also a Rogue One <laughs> connection there, of course. But I thought it was it was it was good to have him here. It felt like a natural progression to kind of see them come together and to see that they are still kind of at odds with what they want to do. But it just creates a whole other piece of tension in the story that not only do they have to deal with not getting caught, but now they have to make sure they're out along with Sagarera and not be trapped yeah. in the space. Yeah, I think to the point in which I said before, they do really hammer home that the Imperial guys are evil. I think that that feels very cut and dry, very good versus evil of it all. And then Saw adds a nice complicating component. And like I said, I usually agree with Saw and his what he wants to do do and his end goals. But I think um, there was an interesting thing that was at play here, I guess, where you do tend to agree with the Bad Batch, I guess, in this scenario. So after after this kind of confrontation, we do get this great moment with Wrecker and Omega, where Omega, she once again, is she's just doing the things. She's doing the things. <laughs> she is being brave. She's being so cool. <laughs> With her little bow and arrow. And I love, you know, when Wrecker says, there's not enough cover for me to go put the tracker on. He goes, but there is cover for you. And I don't know. It was great to see Omega get to do that. And, of course, the end of that whole sequence in which she's about to get caught by the mouse droid. But, of course, Wrecker is there and kind of stops I everything. I the stomping of it. It's so Oops. funny. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> it, it was great. And the Wrecker and Omega relationship is... He's so sweet, and it's one of my favorites on the show. They always have a good good moments together, and I thought this was a good uh, comparison, actually, to the fact that, you know, the Bad Batch, Omega does a lot on her own, right? But the Bad Batch are always right behind her, and they've always been that backup for her when she's gotten into these tricky situations, when they've sent her into tricky situations, but they've always been two steps behind her to make sure that she's okay. You know, even thinking about with... um which episode was it that the, all the kids in that mining factory, you know, when yeah, she, the one with Benny, with Benny, with ben, how can I forget with Benny? Uh, yeah. <laughs> when uh, the boss, the, the mob, the, the lady Proxima of that mining gang, uh, when he is threatening Omega after she tells Benny the truth, who is there to save her? The Bad Batch, you know, and in this situation with Wrecker uh, behind her with the mouse droid, they're always there a couple steps behind her. But of course, at the very end of the finale, 
that's not who's behind her. It's one of the Imperials and they get her. Uh, She's not able to escape that situation. And, you know, I think it's been great this season to see how far Omega has grown in her independence and in her skills, but she is still a child. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a major theme throughout the entire season Mm -hmm. is how is tracking her growth, her skills, her abilities, but also a recognition that she's a child and the Bad Batch are, while we talk about them as being her brothers, they are father figures for her. Um, and yeah, it's 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 interesting. I think we should talk a little bit about the set pieces of the cable cars and the mountains. Um, as much as we were thinking that this finale was going to take place almost exclusively in on Mount Tantus. I think it's interesting that we got a different type of mountain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the major piece of action took place on these cable cars. And what was demonstrated for me when I was watching, I was like, there's a lot of symbolism that is going into choosing this as a set piece. And for me, I think that number one, it tested Wrecker's fear of heights. But also, um, I feel like we're always testing Wrecker's Fear of Heights. There was a lot of placement with that. But then also, on top of that, we have a situation that trickles into episode 16 as well, Plan 99, where the cable cars have electronics behind them. Tech is able to use what he can to manipulate them. But we were suspended. And the theme of trying to figure out a balance between the duty that one feels as a clone and then also a responsibility that we feel for, that the Bad Batch feels for Omega, I feel like it was really put at play in the fact that we're in a cable car that is literally suspended and we're it's cut down to a balancing act where something has to be sacrificed for the rest of them to live. And I think they them choosing it to take place on this cable car, it just makes sense to me that the dramatics were like off the charts. The fact that you couldn't even see the bottom of the ground made the stakes super high. And I think it was a really effective choice to have things take place here. Also, the color palette, I mentioned this before, was very gray, very drab. And I feel like that's exactly what we were feeling. We were feeling the suspension between what the heck is going to happen next. We were feeling the sacrifice that was happening. And we were feeling this like lack of balance that we want to feel so bad for the Bad Batch. And it all takes place in this melancholy color palette. And I feel like that was very deliberate. Deliberately sad. Deliberately sad. Let's roll into talking about episode 16, though, because that's that's where we're at. All right. So episode 16, otherwise known as Plan 99, is was directed by Seward, Seward Lee and written by Jennifer Corbett, who, again, must answer for her crimes. <laughs> She's great. I love her. Love her. But she, she, she really put us through the ringer. It, honestly, like, I just, I got to say it. This is very Dave Filoni style. I know people have talked about how the show is Jennifer Corbett's and it is, but this entire, this is like a page out of the Dave Filoni animation playbook of okay. pulling at the heartstrings. It's, you know it, what I mean? It, it is, <laughs> but I will also remind us of something Dave Filoni has also said um, is you don't have to kill the character. He's like, you don't. People always say they want these it, big dramatic endings, but when it comes to character death, it's, I think he said something along the lines of, it's in my experience that people don't actually like that. So you don't have to kill the characters. <laughs> I, I didn't. I don't know if Tech is dead. I know. I know. But we're not doing the dramatic. We're not doing are very funny. If Tech isn't dead, or I don't know, Tech isn't dead. We're doing the Tech is not dead. <laughs> yes. 
camp and check is not dead. That's kind of where I have to exist until mm-hmm. season three because I, I, I have to. He's my fa- he's my favorite of the Bad Batch, has been, and I – Me too. Yeah. They've, they've done so much with him this season and – I just want more and I want him to have a happy ending with Tech and Fee and the fact that we even thought about some future for Tech and Fee on Pabu and now here we are. It's just, oh God, it's gut-wrenching. I really don't like it. <laughs> I know. Um, but one thing I will say, you know, as we're we're kind of talking about this moment with Tech's death or presumed death, his fall, uh, I guess I should say, uh, is, you know, you were talking about the set piece and everything like that and uh, the color palette. And I think that's all really on the nose. But I'll also say, you know, the season opener, the premiere had a very similar kind of situation where, you know, they're on uh, Sereno and it's Echo, Tech and Omega and they're getting the jewels from Dooku's, uh, lair i don't know uh, from his store chest of all the money he had stolen right and they end up in i guess that cargo hold that comes crashing down a couple of times and remember tech gets pinned it also felt very andor uh with nemec uh from andor but it's kind of a similar situation of a car falling from a great distance and they all survived tech was injured in the premiere which now looking back feels a little bit like foreshadowing too mm-hmm. so i'm just saying he's also never didn't survive that's another thing okay. if we were okay. drawing that okay. intentional parallel uh, maybe it's not that intentional then <laughs> 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 i take it back it's not intentional i <laughs> take it back <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, stricken from the record um But, you know, I I just think there is something to be said about the fact that there are kind of similar situations in the premiere and in the finale and the fact that, you know, we didn't see a body. Uh, We know that Dr. Hemlock went looking for tech, even knew that tech was someone to look for in this situation. You know what I mean? I'm kind of interested how all of that came about to even know that someone was was lost uh that tech was so anyway exactly I, I remain very hopeful i think this scene overall uh between the two episodes was just edge of my seat i was worried for tech the whole time honestly while mm-hmm. he was uh, kind of scaling uh going across to turn on and off the rail the little sky gondola but once he had gotten back even after he was kind of hanging there I was like, Wrecker's totally going to get him. I was totally convinced. And even when Hunter was yelling at Wrecker, like, get tech on board, I was like, all right, there's going to be a moment. It's going to be stressful, but we're all going to make it. And then when it became clear, once once Wrecker stepped on to the other half and tech said, you can't, you can't throw off the balance anymore or else everyone will come down, that's when I knew. And I was like, absolutely absolutely no no (laughs) and it was just it was such a good scene in the fact that it was so sad and emotional and you know Wrecker is trying to hold up the car he's not strong enough to do it and we have Omega there watching who's kind of putting the pieces together of what is going on the stormtroopers are coming in Echo and Hunter are just trying to make sure they're defended and you finally see Tech make the decision himself. And it, 
Oh my God. It was just, it was such a, the, the choreography of the scene, I guess is what I would say was so well done. And, so tragic, honestly. Star Wars is tragedy, and it really was in this moment. And it's definitely, I haven't, I haven't, there are very few times I like downright sob in Star Wars. And this was definitely one of them. It was it really emotional. It really got me. Also, we should mention that Tech says Plan 99. Yeah. And that, I feel like harkens back. First off, the episode is called Plan 99. That harkens back to the clone 99 who was all about sacrifice and he sacrificed himself for his brothers. And it was one of the most emotional Clone Wars episodes possible. And I am, I don't know. I feel like if you're a Clone Wars fan and you hear those words, like you know exactly what that means. Even if like we didn't intellectually know what plan 99 was but we know that plan 99 or 99 as a clone as his name is is mean sacrifice so that was that was really that was a lot this this sequence you said the choreography of it the this editing i guess was just really perfect for me the music was really really hit and even the aftermath of it all when the crash happened and then the the flashes of how they get from where the cable car like speeding into the side of the mountain to bringing Omega on the Marauder to Ord Mandel. Just those flashes of then Omega like barely remembering what happened and then it all coming back to her. I think all of those it was just a really, really emotional 10 minutes in this entire episode. And actually, I say 10 minutes, but from there on out, like it is just gut punch after gut punch until the credits roll, in my opinion. Even up next is the betrayal of Sid, mm. which I have been on the anti-Sid train for a while. But and I, I, this was always on the table. Even Hunter always knew this was on the table. It was always talked about that Sid has a lot of dirt on them. But of course, it happens when they're at their lowest point and Sid uses their lowest point to make a buck, right? And I think that was that was really devastating and also sort of w was salt in the wound, I guess, for them. They feel really – they are at rock bottom, I think. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The whole scene of the crash and of Omega waking up and realizing what had happened, uh, re-remembering what had happened, it was just – Oh, it was a lot. And I think it was really good to have this moment between really the three of them and then it becomes, you know, just Omega and Hunter after she wakes up of, you know, Wrecker comes in and asks or tells her, you know, don't don't ever do that to us again. And we get to see how they're both, how Hunter and Wrecker too have been really injured uh, through this. You know, Wrecker is in like a neck brace and Hunter has bandages all over his body and stuff like that. But the conversation between Hunter and Omega after that, when Omega realizes that nothing can be done about tech and she believes that he's, that he's really gone, that he's really dead. Um, and Hunter says, you know, tech and I have been talking and what if we went back to Pabu and like really did start a new life there. And 
I don't know if Omega would have necessarily agreed to that a couple episodes ago, even after being there, which I think she really liked. But I think a part of Omega really loves that adventure uh, that she gets to go on with the Bad Batch. And I think the more that she's learned through this season about the reality of the clones and what's going on in the galaxy, we talked about this, especially after her little, you know, day at the Senate uh, with Chuchi. Um I think that she might not have been as keen to do that or would have wanted the promise that they can still go on adventures every now and again. But after all this, to see her just sitting there on the bed like, yeah, let's go back to Pabu. Let's let's leave all of this behind. Um, it's, just, it's really heartbreaking and you can really feel, you had mentioned the music. The music does such a great job in this episode of conveying those emotions. And if there's one thing I kind of wish we could have seen would have been the conversation between Hunter and Wrecker where they were like, you know, if when Omega gets through this, let's see if we can go back to Pabu. Like, I think that's the path for us moving forward. Um, I would have loved to have seen that conversation between them, but it's clear that things have changed. The dynamic of the group has changed and just the idea of it being the three of them kind of existing now as a unit, um, which it was really sad. It was all really sad. And then of course the betrayal with Sid, we knew it was coming, I think, but man, did this hurt. Uh, it's, it's tough because what's crazy is we had talked about a lot how there was a potential for an exchange between Omega. Like we knew sort of intellectually <laughs> that the season was going to end with Omega on Mount Tantus, right? Mm -hmm. And in the last episode, we talked about how we are kind of hopeful for some alone time with Omega to kind of show up her skills because she learned so much in the season. And that was sort of a dark hope. And it's clear that that is happening. And I think we talked a little bit about an exchange, but we thought the exchange was going to happen with Crosshair coming back to the Bad Batch and Omega going to Mount Tantus. And it's interesting that Hemlock sort of offered this exchange between Omega going with him for Hunter and Wrecker to be set free. And Crosshair wasn't even a big piece of this finale. But I I feel like what's interesting is now getting this like smaller group of the Bad Batch that we're going to be dealing with. Like there's a there's a lot of splitting that is happening. And I think that's good for character development and future focus because if I could be a little real, I think one of the as much as I love every character and every member of the Bad Batch, I think one of the show's weaknesses that has always been sort of a weakness from the very beginning is this conversation of how each of these characters have like one special skill and that's their entire personality. And that was like potentially a little muddy when it comes to character development and diving deep into them. And this is sort of ironic because we're talking about clones here. And I feel like that perhaps like the point of the Bad Batch is to show a, a lot of like clones deserve to have rights. They're people too, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I think for me to even say that I think is a little like sacrilege, but I think the show has the potential to be stronger 
by sort of separating these characters and letting them grow individually. And I hope that we get to see now in the scenario in which Tech is alive and now he's brought to Mount Tantus, like we'll get to see Crosshair and Omega have a new relationship potentially in season three. And then also, which we have to talk about, this like sister of Omega (laughs) coming into play too. And then potentially Tech being there too. And then maybe, maybe Omega and Crosshair don't even know that Tech was like recovered or something like that. And then we have Hunter and Wrecker and Echo Echo's doing his own thing too, but Hunter and Wrecker together are really trying to find where Omega is. I know that Echo was with them at the end, but it feels like Echo also has another set of goals as well, separate from the rest of the Bad Batch. So I I think it's effective. It's a really good storytelling choice to kind of split them all up because I think we do need to expand upon their individual characteristics. I think we've done a really good job of that. I love this show, but I understand why taking one of them out in order to explore what that means for all of them makes sense. Temporarily take them out. Temporarily take (laughs) them out. Yes. Do do you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like they're just, yeah, I just feel like that was, it's a struggle when you start off with a group of, a a group that are effectively really similar, except for this one characteristic, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think separating is really good. And that is another reason why they brought in a young girl who was different from the rest of them too. It challenged their their differences. So yeah, well, or I their think, sameness. I think ensemble casts kind of always suffer it's from a that. struggle. You know, even with yeah. Rebels, remember, I feel like it took a long time to really get yes. dedicated Sabine storylines. And Absolutely. it's not for lack of caring about these characters. It's just, you know, for Rebels, it was like, okay, we start with the main character here, our main in is going to be Ezra. And so you kind of have to follow that through for a while. And I think that um, we see this to a lesser extent, honestly, with the Bad Batch, just because there are fewer characters, I think. But no, I think you're right. And I think that, you know, splitting up a group like this is an expected story development, um, a story device that is used with other stories like this and with other groups like this, because we do have to see how Omega can stand on her own. And, you know, what is she going to do in Mount Tantus? She's not just going to sit there. Uh, Not the Omega I know. She's going to find a way. So I think I'm really excited to see what happens next season. I'm excited to see if Echo does stay with Hunter and Wrecker. Um, Echo cares a lot for Omega, right? He's part of that family too. Um, And he said at the end, but the way that it was framed at the end of the episode, right? We have uh, Echo who's driving the ship and he says, you know, it was impossible to find out where Dr. Hemlock was going. And the music kind of swells sadly and goes back to the back of the ship with, with Hunter and Wrecker specifically. And them kind of really... Uh, sorrowful about this and they both look back at Omega's room with the Lula doll oh my gosh that was so much so it really felt like the emotions the strongest emotions were being felt by Hunter and Wrecker not to say obviously that Echo doesn't care but it felt like in that scene the focus was on them and their emotional beats so I am super curious to see how Echo kind of fits in to their search for Omega next season of course I think there is the the point or the um 
the piece of it that through Echo's work with Rex, he has a lot of intel on what's going on with clones. So it might actually be good for him to still be working with Rex to be finding out as much information as he can about where clones are going and Dr. Hemlock's work. So I think there's definitely a storyline there for Echo to keep working with Rex and also be helping find Omega. But I wonder what they'll be doing, if anything, as a unit. Um, but let's talk about, yeah, we get to Mount Tantus and maybe the only thing I wish was a little different in this is I kind of wish Crosshair had been awake. I kind of wish yeah. Crosshair had seen Omega and even if he didn't say anything or have anything to tell her, just be kind of shocked and or sad slash surprised that she was at Mount Tantus and that she had been captured. Uh, I think that... Well, well, what? I would say yes, but I think the major question is what is Crosshair's mental state after being shocked by that machine? I know. Right? I know. So I sort of think that that is now something that we need to unpack in season three, and I don't think that's going to happen <sighs> here. The major surprise moment is if we were going to get a scene in Mount Tantus when o Omega arrives there, what they decided to surprise us with is the fact the that sister. Emery is the sister. And I think it's really interesting because when we were on Camino, I don't know if you remember this, but in that room that Omega used to work in with Nala Say, there were a bunch of pods and they were all like, this is where you were. And then there was one extra one that wasn't accounted for. And it was sort of like, What's that? I wonder if they'll go into it. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. Maybe it's just there. And I think that that's where Emery was. I don't know what to think about this at all. Uh, and I, I think it's going to play with Omega's emotions, though, about how she feels about being there with Nala Say, who in a lot of ways was Omega's like mother figure. Mm -hmm. If the rest of the Bad Batch are Omega's father figures, like particularly Hunter, that's even recognized in this episode when... Um, Hemlock says, uh, what did he say? Who knew clones were so paternal? Fascinating. Like that was literally such a, I can't, how much I hate him. But uh, <laughs> the point is Omega's father figure. And then now she's back with her mother figure, Nala Say. But what is, is that further complicated by Emery? Her entire existence? I don't really know how to feel about this. I, I have like kind of like no emotions towards it. I just think it's really surprising. I'm super interested. So is Emery on Omega's side in escaping right. Mount Tantus? Because she she tells Omega, you know, I think Emery knows that Omega knows Crosshair. So to bring her into this room specifically, Emery chose to do that, I would imagine. Yeah. And so for her to bring Omega into this room where she sees Crosshair, tells her that she's her sister, and also mentions that she tried to warn Crosshair that he just needs to follow, uh, answer Dr. Hemlock's questions, basically. Just so curious about where her loyalties really lie. I think I automatically assumed that they lie with Omega uh, because why else tell her that? But I could mm -hmm. be very wrong. But that's kind of what I want. I want them to be on the same side. And what does all of this mean? Does everyone else know that Emery is a clone? I kind of get the feeling they don't. Like, does Dr. Hemlock know? Does Nala say no? Um, 
I mean, I would assume Nala Say knows, but maybe not. You know, anyway, there are a lot of possibilities here. I was kind of thinking, I wonder if there's going to be like a significant time jump between the two seasons. And we see that Omega has grown up a lot, actually, at Mount Tantis, uh, even while Hunter and Riker have been searching for her this whole time. I think that could be a really fascinating thing to happen in the story. But I'm kind of – I'm very into these two camps right now of Hunter and Wrecker and uh, Echo and kind of everything they're doing out in the galaxy of trying to help clones and then, of course, locate Omega. But then Crosshair Omega and now Emery kind of locked at Mount Tantis and what they will or won't try to do uh, to escape, to find out if Tech is alive. Have you thought about the moment that Crosshair finds out that Tech is gone? I have thought about it, and it makes me really yeah. sad. <laughs> I I think that'll be another moment for Crosshair of fully, you know, turning his back on the Empire. I think that will really affect him. I hope so anyway, mm-hmm. because... I know. think it already has. I think he's already turned his back on the Empire. I think but so, too. the question is, what did they do to his brain? We've kind of already had that storyline. So I know some people have talked about, like, the Winter Soldier of it all. Uh, I kind of hope we don't do that because I feel like... Could happen with tech, though. It could. This is the other thing I wondered about tech is, you know, when Hemlock arrived at SIDS and uh, was trying to capture Omega, he told Hunter that he was going to send Hunter and Wrecker back to that planet to be questioned by Tarkin specifically because Tarkin had a lot of questions for them. So I kind of wonder if maybe tech was taken to Tarkin rather than Mount Tantis. Um, I have no idea, but I thought that could also be a place where tech is. This whole season, this whole season finale has been such a ride and there was so much of it that I didn't expect and I didn't expect it to be as emotional as it was. It's definitely the darkest season finale we've had. Uh, and I, I'm, there's so many ways that the next season could go and I'm so excited. I think this season overall has been, has been really strong, honestly. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that some people have called it uneven, but I never felt that way. Also, we should say, we've talked about this on the podcast before. We got screeners. We didn't mention this. This is kind of like a big thing for us. Okay. We got screeners for all of the episodes except for the finale. So we watched all of the rest of the season in December when we got the screeners. And then obviously we've been updating you all and doing, we've been talking about it in chunks, but we didn't get a screener for the finale. So we've been waiting since December for this finale. And boy, like that's a long time. (laughs) (laughs) And it was so devastating. And I just, I don't think I was emotionally prepared, even though I had like four months to emotionally prepare. Yeah. And I, it wrecked me. And I think that I find the season really cohesive. And I think when you do binge it, you see that. And the, and so I highly recommend binging is the point is to, in in a rewatch, um, to see that. I do think the second half of the season is much stronger than the first half. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's like that, you know? And I think seeing where it's all leading to this really dark finale was really, really great. You had a question in here about what the season has been about. And I think it's a good opportunity to talk about how I would view season two as a whole. And I think season one was really about the question of what about their chips in their brain? Because what happens after Order 66? In the immediate aftermath of that, how do 
you instill and talk about free will. So I think the first season was about the question of free will with regard to one choice to the question with what happens when you disobey that order. It has sort of expanded in this season to talk about free will with a little bit more nuance versus just like one question about after what happens after Order 66. And I feel like season two really moved beyond the one question and more into what does life look like after Order 66? What does it look like for the clones? What does it mean towards clones' rights? And now it feels like in season three, we're moving into what free will even looks like when you're continued to be a test subject. Like you're returning back to the place where you sort of began, but it's it's much more dark than it was before. Yeah. No, I think you're spot on. You know, I think season one was about, you know, how do you, what do we do about the chip? The chip question, I think, was kind of a big driver of season one. And season two has kind of felt like what you were saying is, okay, now that we have this free will, what do we do with it? I also think that season two was a lot about like how we define family, especially for Omega and how a family can shift and change, but it doesn't change people's feelings for each other. And also just about how to function within a family unit when there are Uh, disagreements and arguments and things like that and how, you know, even if family members go a separate way, you know, thinking about Echo, you can always come back and that doesn't change things. Uh, And that, you know, you have to kind of go on your own path for a little bit. And I think that's what we're leading partially into in season three is, okay, what was free will a season one? Season two, I think, is, okay, now that we have free will, what do we do with it moving forward as a unit? What are even some possibilities for us out there in the galaxy? And then I think season three could be about fully claiming free will and the right to a life and to happiness and to autonomy um, as -hmm. they fully kind of escape Mount Tantus and what is going on with the clones and kind of fully finding their purpose and hopefully a happy ending somewhere in some capacity. What were some of your favorite episodes of the season? Oh, I mean, I think kind of taking out our Coruscant episode, aside from Coruscant and the finale, I would say probably The Crossing. Um, I don't know. You're right, though. The back half of this season is so, so strong. Uh, everything is good. Everything from, you know, our the episode with Tech and Omega's argument when they have the discussion, you know, and, and Tech being neurodivergent. And then also... Um, you know, the outpost was, oh my God, so freaking, the outpost <laughs> freaking good. Is one of the best Star Wars television ever. episodes ever. But then, you know, I have quite a soft spot in my heart for the Pabu episodes. I think mm-hmm. they're so great. Also, okay, the racing episode was just downright hilarious. It's not my favorite of the season, but I really Not tech it. getting his moment in that episode. Whatever. Whatever. And us being where we are now. Again, Jennifer Corbett <laughs> has to pay for her crimes. So many in a loving tech, manner. Tech standout moments in this season. It's like so unreal. We talked about it so much too on the podcast. We were like, there's so much good tech content. I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> now we're in this terrible predicament. <laughs> it's just unfair. Yeah. Uh, but what was your favorite episode? Um, I loved the Coruscant episodes. Yeah. Uh, I really liked the... I can't believe we saw the Zillow Beast again. Oh my gosh, right? Yeah, I I really liked the outpost. 
that's it for me, really. I I think those are my top three. I think this latter half of the season, I could probably rank as my favorite too. I don't know. I think yeah. it was really strong. With The Bad Batch, there's a little bit of a shorter season too. That's true. You know, and I'm not, I'm not saying that there are other parts of Clone Wars and Rebels that are filler because we reject the word filler here on Sky Dockers. But mm-hmm. I do think that kind of lends itself to um, sometimes tighter a bit of a tighter storyline story overall. So I think that is something to consider when we're thinking about, you know, comparing our episodes and our seasons and shows and things like that. But yeah, Bad Batch does have a bit of a a tighter season overall. It was so good. Loved this finale, loved this season and loved talking about the Bad Batch on the podcast. I can't wait until season three and what we find out at Celebration next week. Oh my God. Get that a sweet, sweet announcement that it's coming Uh next month. It's coming. I'm confident. Next month. (laughs) So soon. Yes, I, I've loved covering The Bad Batch this season. Uh, really lucky to be able to talk about it with you. And I hope you all have enjoyed listening to our coverage of The Bad Batch. Hope you are emotionally recovered uh, or just like a little emotionally stable from the finale because I'm not fully emotionally recovered. <laughs> from the finale. So I hope you're doing well. (laughs) And thank you guys as always for listening. I think that is going to wrap up uh, this episode of Sky Talkers and also this season of our Bad Batch coverage. But we will be back, of course, when we get that season three announcement uh, to cover it. But until then, you can find us on Twitter at SkyTalkersPod or our personal handles. Charlotte's is at Crarity and mine is at Caitlin Flesher. We also have our website, SkyTalkers.com, our Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, all good places to find us. And if you want to share that you're listening to the show, we would love it if you took a screenshot of you listening right now and shared it on social media, on your Instagram story, Twitter, uh, TikTok, wherever you like to post and tell others that you're listening in real time. Um, Some of you have been doing this the past couple weeks and it has been so exciting and has really made our day to see it. So thank you if you have shared. Uh, It's really meant a lot to us and we've been resharing them. So post and we'll reshare it. Make sure you tag us. And yeah, we would love it if you did that. And if you could also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that is also a great way to share your love for Sky Talkers and get other people to join in the conversation with us. And certainly last but not least, if you're interested in even more ways to support us, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our different reward tiers there. I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons. Joe, Cassie, Jenny, Lightsaber Lost, Olivia, Lindsay, Tim, Benjamin, Molly, Jose, Nina, Alexa, Jedediah, Brad, Natalie, Anna, Trevor, Allie, Sophia, Aubrey, Emily, and Angela. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yes, thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you.